Welcome to the Mapped Out Money Podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. You're listening to episode number 31. And today's episode is sponsored by the Mapped Out Money Minute. If you're not familiar, this is another podcast that we run. They're daily sort of uh, 60 to 120 second tips all about managing your money so that you can live your adventure. Same kind of stuff we talk about on this podcast, except for it's every single day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and they're short and bite-sized. So we'd love for you to check it out. Type in Mapped Out Money Minute into your favorite podcast player, and it should come right up. Today's an extra special episode because we wanted to talk about what can Weird Al teach us about personal finance? Yes. And the answer is, we don't know. But (laughs) since this is our podcast, we get to talk about whatever we want to talk about on it. And so today we want to talk about why we like Weird Al and 13 pieces of wisdom that we think he has for us. Yes. That could maybe be applied to finances. I think a lot of them do apply to more broadly to your life in general yeah but i think that's true for a lot of personal finance stuff i think though that this might feel like it's coming out of left field so how do we like why are we even doing this like how do we get on this topic okay so the first i've always liked weird al yeah i have too but i forget what um there was some charity where celebrities were reading children's books on instagram and I think it was... Happened a few months ago, right? Yeah. Um, Jennifer Gardner had something to do with it of yeah. like coordinating it all or something, I think. But anyway, so one of the celebrities who did that was Weird Al. And he read his children's book, When I Grow Up. And it's, to me, it's uh, all about like the importance of letting yourself change your mind um, and being a lifelong learner and not locking yourself into one path your entire life. And so... When I heard him read this children's book, I just loved it. So, like, I went and ordered the kids' book. Nick and I have it now. Um, and it's a great kids' book. So, if you're interested or, in that, you should check book. it out. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we love it as adults. And so, that just really resonated with me. And so, then it kind of got me on this Weird Al kick. Yeah, made me like Weird Al even more than liking him for his music. I was like, oh, wow. Like, it's always really fun. Like, I, I'm, I'm not somebody who, if I don't love the person, I can still appreciate their art or whatever they do. Um, but it's really fun when somebody that you love what they do and the art that they create in the world, you also like really resonate with them as a person and who they are and what they seem to be about. Yeah. But around that same time, um, the New York Times Magazine came out with an article on Weird Al written by Sam Anderson. And they came out with these hilarious pictures of like I think it was like over 200 Weird Al fans who showed up for this photo shoot all dressed up as Weird Al and had super cute pictures. And then a picture of like Weird Al and his daughter and she's got her little like Weird Al mustache on and the big glasses and, you know, so I just started looking into him more. And this article is like huge. It's super long. Yeah. So I've read it a couple of times. And um, the great thing about it is they actually have a recorded version of it. So, like, if you're more of a listener, you can go listen to it just like you would a podcast. And we'll have it. We'll have it all linked up in the show notes if you want to check out the article or yeah. listen to it after this. Yeah, it's on like the podcast, the daily. But yeah, we'll have that all linked up. So this episode, we're basically just going to go through this article and pull out parts of the article that we really liked and kind of the the key takeaway from that part of the article that stuck out to us. We've got thirteen of those. Yep, almost like a. Like a book review episode. Yeah, it really is. All right. Our first point is to not take yourself so seriously. 
Um, So from the article, here we go. On stage, Weird Al sat on a wooden stool and started to snap like a lounge singer. With an orchestra swelling behind him, as the tour was called, Strings Attached, he caked into a soulful medley of 1980s parodies. If that doesn't sound great to you, if it in fact sounds like a very particular flavor of Sonic Hell, I'm here to tell you something. Weird Al was absolutely belting. He was singing the bejesus out of this ridiculous music. I leaned back in my chair, reassessing core assumptions I had made about life. Was this somehow part of the joke? That Weird Al was an amazing singer? His voice was athletic and precise. He was rippling through intricate trills and runs. By the time he reached the medley's climax, like a surgeon, his 1985 parody of Madonna's Like a Virgin, Yankovic was stretching for high notes and holding them over his head for the crowd to admire, like an Olympic weightlifter who had just snatched 500 pounds. So what I love about this is it pointed something out, which I've always appreciated and loved about Weird Al, which is that he's actually like legit and he's really, really talented. Um, but I think a lot of people don't don't maybe recognize that because he does parodies, but it's like he's extremely talented and he doesn't like let that get in the way of being funny and having a good time and like he doesn't take himself that seriously, even though he's ridiculously talented yeah i mean it kind of ties back into our last episode about like great moves being met with yawns yep i think him coming out as an artist and and being a parody artist probably made the road to success harder for him because people are automatically inclined to be like oh well he's just a parody artist you would, you would only do that if you weren't talented is is sort of the assumption i think a lot yeah. of people make and i don't know why yeah. i don't know why that's the assumption we make but i do feel like that's kind of the underlying assumption but yeah um when you listen to weird al his voice is amazing yeah. he has a great voice and um and as you learn about him i mean you learn like what just exactly how talented of a musician yep. he is yep and as we'll see later in this article um he's not only talented he's very 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 smart and yet he's so normal and down to earth and like nice and he doesn't take himself that seriously or you know get high on on himself yeah and i loved in the later on in the article they refer to him his legendary niceness like they just talk about how nice he is and uh, i do think that's like what stuck out to me the most and what just made me want to do this episode because he just seems like that celebrity that you've never met but you're you feel like you're friends with him that's kind of like how he makes everybody feel yeah all right so moving on to uh the second point that we wanted to draw out is um to remember that pretty much everybody else is as weird and insecure as you are so here's the bit of the article Near the end of the show, during the chorus of Amish Paradise, as the entire stadium started swinging its arms in rhythm, I unexpectedly found myself near tears. Weird Al was dressed in a ridiculous black suit with a top hat and a long fake beard, and he was rapping about churning butter and raising barns, and everyone was singing along. I could feel deep pools of solitary childhood emotion, loneliness, affection, vulnerability, joy, beginning to stir inside me, beginning to trickle out and flow into this huge common reservoir. All the private love I had ever had for this music, for not only Weird Al's parodies, but for the originals, now it was here, outside, vibrating for the whole crowd. Weird Al had pulled off a strange emotional trick. He had brought the isolated energy of all of our tiny rooms into this one big public space. Yeah, I loved this because, I mean, as his name says, Weird Al is supposedly weird. And yet so many people 
have some sort of universal connection with him. And I think it is because like we all feel like that weird outsider, at least at some point in our life. Yeah. I mean, even even if you fit into a certain group, you can always put yourself into some other group and feel weird or feel as an outsider. And so um, it's nice that Weird Al just embraces that. And brings us all together and recognizes that, hey, you know what? Um, I'm weird. You're weird. We're all kind of weird in our own ways. And that's cool. I think, too, I mean, you, we can define weird in a lot of different ways. But let's let's talk about the feelings, like, in general, just of, of insecurity that yeah. I think all of us share on some level. And so, um, you know, the feelings of I'm weird and nobody would want to listen to me or... Um, I'm totally unqualified or I could never do that or, you know, whatever. I think we hold ourselves back from like dreams that we have a lot of times because we we talk ourselves down for whatever reason. We couldn't do those things. Other people might can do them, but like we are weird and we couldn't do that. Um, I think looking at people like Weird Al is such a great reminder. And it's like, don't don't let yourself don't talk yourself out of your dreams. Yeah. Like, don't be afraid to go for things. I think a lot of us let that kind of inner insecurity keep us from going after what we want to go after. Um, and we definitely struggle with that. Sure. I mean, pretty frequently, we're like, why would anybody want to listen to this podcast? But we have at least a couple of people that listen, thanks to our moms. That's right. Thanks, mom. That's right. Um, and Josh. Josh. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Josh. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I just think, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if anybody listens doing this podcast. For one thing, I think it makes our relationship better mm-hmm. and just like gives us an excuse to carve out time to have conversations. Um, and yeah, so just just don't let those insecurities about being weird or different or unqualified or whatever. Just go for it. Don't talk yourself out of doing things that you feel passionate about. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's really important to remember is that. The vast majority of people who you see succeeding in whatever it is you're focused on, um, either right now, literally at this second, or at some point in the past, have also felt weird and unqualified too. And uh, that's okay. Don't let it hold you back. All right. Number three is that even when you're as cool as Weird Al, you're still going to have haters. So just (laughs) don't worry about it. Here's from the article. Michael Schur. Schur? I think it's sure. Okay. Michael Schur, the creator of The Good Place and co-creator of Parks and Recreation, remembers the force of Weird Al's 1992 parody of Nirvana. So then there's a part of the article where Michael Schur is talking about that particular parody, but we're going to skip down a little bit. Schur paused. He said there were heated debates sometimes in comedy writing rooms about the merits of Weird Al's work. Some cynics argue that his jokes aren't actually great, that people overrate them because they're just nostalgic for their childhoods. This reminds me of um, that quote, um, you can be the ripest, juiciest peach in the whole world, and uh, there's still going to be somebody that hates peaches. That quote is attributed, at least when I looked, to Dita Von Teese. Do, do you know who Dita I, Von Teese is? I don't know is? who she is. She's credited, apparently, with bringing back burlesque shows. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. <laughs> and it makes sense that she has a quote about a juicy peach. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can have the best, brightest, ripest burlesque shows in the world, and some people still won't like burlesque shows. That's true. So, um Even when you embrace your weirdness, as we described in tip number two, you're always going to have people who are cynical and hate on you and think your jokes aren't just that great or whatever. Um, And so, you know, even if you're Weird Al or 
you know, have all this the fame and success in the world, there's always going to be somebody who thinks that you're not that great. And so you've got to just ignore them. To tie this into finance, if you do decide, I want to radically change how I've been handling my finances and really try to improve my money situation, and you start doing things like rapidly paying off debt and making drastic lifestyle Mm-hmm. Cut back so that you can do that and, you know, buying beater cars so that you can pay cash and all those things. You're going to have people who act like those are stupid decisions because mm-hmm. some people just aren't going to be aligned with that. So we can get into all the reasons of why that might be, but we've done that on other episodes. So just recognize that like, hey, I may be making great choices that are moving my finances forward. And some people just don't don't like a good financial situation. Yeah. All right. The fourth tip from the article is that you can be multifaceted. Here's what the article says. Weird Al lives in Los Angeles, up in the Hollywood Hills, in a house that he was told once belonged to the rapper Heavy D. The house is clean, minimalist, sophisticated, the opposite of Weird Al's public persona. There are no Twinkie-shaped lounge chairs or florid shag carpets. It is a high-ceilinged, full of gliding California light and beautiful furniture. Suzanne was a high-powered marketing executive at 20th Century Fox, and she was skeptical at first when a friend tried to set them up. So, for context, Suzanne is his wife. his wife, yep. She worried that Weird Al would be wacky, loud, shrill, insufferable, exhausting, always on. He turned out to be the opposite. Offstage in his civilian life, Yankovic is shy, introverted, extremely private, and unfailingly polite. I think why this stuck out to me is that this is something that we've talked about a lot because a lot of people in our life think of you as being frugal. And for that reason, they think that you never want to spend money on anything and they think that you're always cheap. Especially people who knew me, who grew up with me. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I I was definitely tight tighter when I was in college and when I was single, for sure, um, than I am now. But even then, I would say thoughtful is a better word and i just recognize that i didn't value what a lot of my friends or family members valued and so i wanted to spend my money elsewhere yeah and another thing that happens is like if we're meeting somebody new and they find out like oh you you do budgeting for a living yeah then they're instantly like oh gosh don't judge me for whatever i'm doing right now or you know whatever um and so there's just all these assumptions that that go towards fitting you into a stereotype, yeah. no matter who you are. Yep. I think as humans, to make sense of things, we have to try to fit fit things into these neat little boxes, even though that's really not how life works. And so, sure, sometimes I think we can definitely look cheap, like maybe on the nights that we're sleeping in the bed of our truck in the Walmart parking <laughs> lot to avoid paying for a hotel room. Um, but at the same time, we might turn around the next day and spend, you know, a thousand dollars or so to put up something specific on our Airstream walls that we really want to do to change the whole look of our Airstream. Yeah. You know, so it is it's just that thoughtfulness about like how we want to spend our money. And we do like we'll go, eh, do we want to spend a hundred dollars on a hotel room or do we want that hundred dollars to go towards this project that we're working on? I think the main takeaway here is. People want to put other people into a box and stereotype them because it makes it easier for them to understand the world. If I can put you in this box and say this is the way you act, then I I know how to understand with you and understand you or interact with you. It makes it easier on me. Just don't let people do that because that's not 
the case. Just because you like certain things or into certain hobbies, do the certain things for a career or act one way, doesn't mean that you are perfectly going to align with that stereotype. And that's normal. And that's totally fine. Don't let people box you in. Chugging right along to number five. And that is even when things look effortless for other people, know that there's actually a ton of work behind them. So here is what the article has to say. When I asked about his writing process, Yankovic took out his laptop, sat down at a big wooden table, and told me to pick a song. I chose White and Nerdy. It is archetypal Yankovic, a parody rap that captures all the musical energy of the original while nerdifying its lyrics. So here's some of the lyrics. First in my class there at MIT, got skills, I'm a champion at D&D. MC Escher, that's my favorite MC. Um, I love that I mean, line. <laughs> Weird Al so is just brilliant. I know. Okay, so White and Nerdy went viral in 2006 in the early days of YouTube and drove the album straight out of Linwood into the top 10, rekindling Weird Al's popularity for the new millennium. At his dining room table, Yankovic clicked around on his laptop. He has a file for every song, and each file is many levels deep. At the top stands the finished lyric. Below that, like archaeological layers beneath the surface of an ancient city, descend all the stages of writing it took to get there. Perhaps you have always imagined that Weird Al tosses off his lyrics while juggling rubber chickens on a unicycle, but it turns out that Weird Al approaches the composition of his music with something like the holy passion of Michelangelo painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Looking through the white and nerdy file felt like watching a supercomputer crunch through possible chess moves. Every single variable had to be considered in every single line. The song begins with a simple sentence. They see me mowing my front lawn. And even here, Yankovic agonized over lawn versus yard and my versus the. He sifted through phases and gradations so small they were almost invisible. Yankovic has done a version of this process for just about every song he has ever written, parody and original, from Eat It to Today. Songs that may seem dashed off are, in fact, the product of months of self-imposed hard labor. Lonely, silent, obsessive world-building. I think this, again, just goes to point out the fact that a lot of people, for some reason, put parody in this like lesser-than box and it's so cool to see him well and again stereotyping yeah yeah stereotyping so like you don't really take it seriously because it's like a joke song and nick and i were talking about this earlier and i said that's what i love about weird al though is that like he comes at it with with such um precision yep and like the same attention to detail that you would spend on anything else that's super duper important that's what he brings to parody and that's why he's so good and he's also again like so nice he does it all without saying anything foul using any curse words like i mean he's just he's awesome so you know to me the the big takeaway um just like in any endeavor, whether it's athletics or music or um, your career or being good with money or whatever it is, it very rarely is that this person has no talent, no hard work, and is just lucky. Yes, does luck play a role? Absolutely. But a lot of the time, the people that are like weird out, that are that good at what they do, they're putting in an obscene amount of effort and dedication to their craft. Yeah, to take really it cool. to take it back to our last episode, Weird Al is is doing a lot of yawn worthy yes. moves before we hear like his hit, hit song. Like, can you imagine? Like, literally going back to what it, they see me mowing my front lawn. Can you imagine? They see me mowing my front lawn versus like they see me mowing the front lawn instead of 
my front lawn. I know. And just That's imagine so like doing funny. that for every single lyric that you're like every line. Yeah, it is nuts. All right. The sixth tip we wanted to point out is go after what you love. It's often a unique combination of stuff that you love that makes for an exciting life. Here's what the article says. As a teenager, Yankovic's enthusiasm began to widen. He became obsessed with Elton John. He would grab his accordion and play along with Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, the whole double album, start to finish, memorizing it. He watched Monty Python and amassed stacks of mad magazines in which he would read parodies of movies he was not allowed to see. One night, Alfred's passion for music and comedy came together in the form of a radio DJ named Dr. Demento. Every Sunday, Demento played four hours of novelty music, both from absolute comedy legends, Spike Jones, Alan Sherman, Stan Freeberg, and from nobodies who sent in unsolicited cassette tapes. Alfred Yankovic wanted, desperately, to escape his room and live in this world. He started writing his own comedy songs. One night, his mother overheard the show and decided that it was inappropriate, and said he couldn't listen to it anymore. But this tide was rising too fast for even her to stop. Every week, Alfred would huddle under his blankets and listen to Dr. Demento, and it would not be long before he heard his own voice coming back at him out of the speakers. In 1976, Demento picked out Belvedere Cruising, a song Yankovic wrote about his family's jalopy of a car, and played it on the air. So for a little context there, um, the article really builds out this picture of a very overprotected Extremely childhood. Extremely overprotected. Yes. Um, so just to tie in there, I have to mention these. Like these points could not go unmentioned. Some of the things the article says about his parents were so funny. Okay. So it says, he took his first accordion lesson the day before his seventh birthday and progressed quickly. He had plenty of time to practice. Mary Yankovic was so overprotective that her son spent much of his life alone in his room. He never played at his friends' houses, never had sleepovers, never explored his neighborhood on his bike. The farthest he was allowed to ride was half a block to his Aunt Dot's house, and his mother would stand on the lawn and watch. For Alfred's protection, she would censor the mail, sifting through catalogs page by page with a black marker in hand, scribbling out anything inappropriate. Bra ads, pictures of women in bikinis. That just made me laugh. I just, like, imagine this little lady, like, with her marker, like, coloring things out. It's also really funny now, because, like, can you imagine, like, can you imagine Mary Yankovic Today. Today with oh my the internet. Gosh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and so here was the other funny thing that I thought uh, from the article. It says, he never had a girlfriend, never went to a party or a dance. His parents never taught him about sex. Stay away from women, his father once told him. They have diseases and stuff. I just thought that was fabulous. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's the best. Um, but anyways, back to our point. He followed what he loved yes and uh your own success in life and your own like love of the life that you create is often going to be some weird unique combination of something that you love and it goes back to not trying to fit yourself into a a stereotype yes so andy j pizza talks about this too um he is an illustrator and he says he's like an okay illustrator. But when he combines his love of illustration with his love of helping other people pursue their creative passions then he like has this really magical combination that's led to him creating like a really popular podcast and led to a lot of his most popular creative work too. Um, So I like his example of that. Well, and that's, I mean, that's what we're trying to do here on this podcast, right? I mean, how many personal finance podcasts do you listen to the two entire episodes on Weird Al? That's right. There you go. We are stepping outside of our personal (laughs) finance stereotype. I like that. But Weird Al could have very easily, I imagine, be stereotyped as maybe possibly a nerd. Yes. Um, and 
I think if he had tried to squeeze himself into that stereotype, like, oh, I'm a nerd and nerds aren't funny. So I'm not yeah, going to try to be funny. Do this. Yeah. Or um, I'm a nerd and nerds don't listen to pop music. So I won't do that. Um, or I'm a serious musician and serious mu- musicians don't do parodies. So I'm not going to waste my time on parodies. Like we wouldn't have the weird owl that we know and love today. So I'm so glad that he didn't try to fit himself into a stereotype. And just to, again, like another little fun fact from the article, he graduated high school at the age of 16 as the valedictorian. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either until yeah. until we read this. And um, just again, goes to the point of like, that's only something that nerds would do. Mm-hmm. So on to number seven, don't let a degree or titles define or limit you. So Weird Al has a degree in architecture. Again, also I did not know that. Yeah. So here's here's the article. Weird Al Yankovic has a degree in architecture. After graduating from college with that degree, Weird Al decided he didn't like architecture and so applied for a job at McDonald's, but was ultimately rejected due to being overqualified. He later got a job in a mailroom. Uh, So I just, I very much appreciate that. And again, it ties in with his kid's book that's all about keeping an open mind. And he goes through all these different crazy careers that he might want to try because the, the premise of the book is like, the, I think maybe a kinder, for kindergarten or first grade, I don't know, a teacher asks this little boy what he wants to be when he grows up. And basically he's like, I want to keep my options open and explore all these crazy new things. And But he's got nutso stuff in there like milking giraffes and <laughs> just funny things. So again, check out the kids book because it's, well, it's, worth, it's worth reading. And we won't belabor this point, but if y'all listen to this podcast, you know that we're definitely um, fans of not letting degrees and credentials define you and define what you have to be for the rest of your life. So um, it was nice to see that Weird Al felt the same way. All right. The eighth tip is to embrace the obstacles in your life. Here's what the article says. The nickname Weird Al started as an insult. It happened during his first year of college. This was a fresh start for Alfred, a chance to reinvent himself for a whole new set of people. He had no reputation to live down, no epic humiliations, and so he decided to implement a rebrand. He introduced himself to everyone, not as Alfred, but as Al. Alfred sounded like the kind of kid who might invent his own math problems for fun. Al sounded like the opposite of that guy, a guy who would hang out with the dudes eating pizza, casually noodling on an electric guitar, tossing off jokes so unexpectedly hilarious that they would send streams of light beer rocketing out everyone's noses. Side note here, I also love this because I thought a great deal about going by Nicholas or Nick going into college and uh, ultimately decided on Nick. And uh, I just appreciated that Weird Al also gave that same uh, idea some thought. Be honest, was it because Nick was more like Nick Jonas? Uh, No, I don't don't think it was that. (laughs) All right, back to the article. Uh, The problem was that even at college, even under the alias of Al Yankovic, he was still himself. He was still fundamentally an Alfred. He was, in all kinds of excruciating ways, not your average freshman. He was 16. He wore thick glasses and had a regrettable mustache. He was skinny and pathologically shy. He had the social skills of a ceramic frog. He didn't drink, smoke, party, date, or swear. He still felt most comfortable alone in his tiny room. The other guys on his dorm floor knew Al Yankovic only as a mysterious oddball haunting the place like Boo Radley. They would all be hanging out, sprawled around someone's room, door open, laughter spilling into the hallway, when suddenly this pale kid would come slumping by, off to class or to the library, saying nothing, casting a shy glance in the door. He often wore a variation on the same outfit, a striped shirt, a floppy bucket hat, like Gilligan on Gilligan's Island, 
and flip-flops, even when it was raining outside. The guys would watch him pass only very slightly interested, like a pack of lions watching a distant ibis. An owl would look through the open door, and there would be this moment of mutual regard, the in-group and the outcast, staring each other down. Over time, this silent encounter became a ritual, awkward but familiar. Eventually, Yankovic started to play variations. As he walked by, he would stare inside and make a face, screw his eyes up, lower his eyebrows, serio-comically glower. It was the weird guy being weird, silently acknowledging his weirdness, performing it to entertain himself. Once, in the fateful silence that followed, a guy in the room spoke up. Hey, he said, it's, expletive, Weird Al. This was not meant as a compliment. It was an attempt to return, in words, the strange energy Yankovic was pouring into the room through his eyes. The nickname got repeated every time he went shuffling past, Hey, Weird Al. And so it stuck. And slowly, Al began to embrace it, to reclaim the insult as a badge of honor. When I first read this, I immediately thought of um, Eminem, the rapper, in the uh, the scene in 8 Mile, where basically in the, in the last bit of the, the rap battle, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, Eminem disses himself, which is like the opposite of what you're supposed to do in a rap battle. And he puts all of these own insults on himself, and he basically takes the words out of the other guy's mouth and he does it so well that the guy he's battling against really has nothing left to say because Eminem has now just owned all of his own insults and said, yeah, I'm this. Yeah, I'm that. So what? And, and basically just took it and, and took ownership of it. So now that guy has no ammunition. He has no firepower to come back at Eminem with. And this is what Weird Al was doing, um, you know, way, uh, way back in the day, just owning it. I like that this episode is not only Weird Al wisdom, it's also Eminem wisdom. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> to, to, uh, to talk about somebody very closely related to Eminem, do you want to, do you want to share what it made you think about with the Ryan Holiday stuff? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, going back to what we named this tip, which was, um, you know, to embrace the obstacles. Um, there's a book that we've talked about uh, before called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, um, uh, which is sort of a, a modern take on, um, stoicism and, the, the basic premise is don't just ignore the obstacles in your life. Don't try to avoid them, but actually embrace them because a lot of the times those obstacles are the way. They're the way of getting forward uh, and using those obstacles to your advantage. Uh, and so I just loved that that's exactly what Weird Al was doing, even as a 16-year-old awkward kid in college. Like he was taking these insults and taking these obstacles that were thrown at him and embracing them, owning them, and using them to his advantage. I know. I want to be more like Weird Al. I thought it was real cool. Moving right along to number nine, the best friends will encourage you to be you. So here's from the article. It took him a long time to make a real friend. One day, Joel Miller, one of the normal guys in the dorm room Yankovic stared into, walked into the communal bathroom to find a group of kids laughing. He asked them what was up. Turns out they had just pulled a prank on Weird Al. Knowing how cringingly awkward he was, they had sneaked in while he was showering and stolen his clothes. In his panic, Weird Al had ripped down the shower curtain, wrapped himself in it, and sprinted off to his room, soaking wet. Miller threatened to bash the guys over the head with a chair, got Weird Al's clothes, and returned them. This was the beginning of the longest close friendship of Al Yankovic's life, a friendship that still endures. Miller noticed the accordion in Yankovic's dorm room and asked if he actually knew how to play. Yankovic said yes, he could play any song anyone wanted to hear. Miller, trying to stump him, said, How about Elton John's Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding, an 11-minute piano rock dirge? 
Al strapped on his accordion and played the song note for note all the way through. This earned Weird Al an invitation to hang out in the dorm room, where he played his accordion for everyone else. Miller grabbed his bongos and the two of them jammed for hours. And then forward into the article a little bit. If, in the superhero narrative of Weird Al Yankovic, there is a radioactive spider bite moment, it has to be open mic night at Cal Poly in 1977. Imagine the scene, a bunch of long-haired idealists with banjos and acoustic guitars ready to shock the world with the beauty of their finger-picking. And then, Weird Al steps on stage. He brought with him not only his accordion and his large glasses and his little mustache, but his whole awkward, chaotic energy. Miller set up his bongos, and together the pair launched into the exact opposite of earnest folk music. Yankovic played Wipeout and also Sprog Zarathustra, uh, maybe I'm saying that right, I don't know, and a 10-minute medley that he claimed covered every song ever written in the history of the world. Before that night, Yankovic's public performances included childhood accordion competitions and a cousin's wedding. Now he was sharing his own music, the essence of himself, with a room full of strangers. The odds were high that he would bomb then disappear back into his tiny room forever. Instead, the opposite happened. The crowd went crazy. Weird Al's ridiculous music got a standing ovation. The applause would not stop. People hollered for more. For a kid who had spent his whole childhood being either ignored or bullied, that sudden validation was transformative. Miller remembers looking over at his shy friend and seeing Yankovic's face lit with total joy. I, I loved this story for, for a lot of reasons. Um, one, it was just really cool to see, you know, somebody kind of stand up to the jerks who were making fun of him and, you know, playing a prank on him. Um, two, it was sort of cool to see Weird Al's sort of confidence come out and be like, yeah, I can play anything on that thing. Well, it's like the underdog finding yes. his success. And I finding think we it. all like that. Yeah. And I um, I thought the other thing that was cool was like for all of Weird Al's talent and charisma and smarts and confidence and all of that stuff. To me, the story points back to this idea that like we still need friends in our life to encourage us and help us on our path and be good influences on us. And it really reminds me of that Jim Rohn quote that we talk about all the time, which is that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And you need to spend time with people who are going to build you up and support you and be like, yeah, you should play your crazy accordion and do whatever weird thing you want to do and embrace. Yeah. Um, I, I just loved that. And I, I thought that was so encouraging. Well, and I think if you look at Joel Miller, at least the picture that this article uh, paints of him he was willing to go against the crowd yep. and stand up for, for Al when everybody else just wanted to bully him. And so, again, you know, I think he was willing to get up there on stage and play his bongos with the guy that everybody called Weird Al. So he himself was, like, willing to go against the crowd, willing to put himself out there, willing to try things. Um, and I think, what a what a great friend. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe Weird Al wouldn't have tried that without Joel. I, I don't know. That's not in the article at all. But I could definitely see myself, like not being willing to get up there like that unless I had like a friend who would go to. Yep. Um, so I don't know. I, I like that story too. All right. The 10th tip is don't wait until you have the best equipment or ideal setup for whatever it is you're pursuing. Just go for it. Here's what the article says. In 1979, during his junior year, Weird Al stood in a men's bathroom at Cal Poly. He liked the acoustics of the tile and recorded a parody of the number one song in America, the Knacks, My Sharona, a lusty, humpy, cringy ode to seducing a teenage girl. Weird Al's version was a two-minute romp about lunch meat called My Bologna. It had a crazy DIY nerd punk energy 
You could hear Yankovic committing every fiber of his lonely soul to the bit, crooning and grunting like a man driven insane with desire. It didn't matter that the pun was bad, that the singing was raw. All of that was exactly the point. Dr. Demento's listeners went crazy for it, and the radio stations picked it up nationwide. And the lead singer of The Knack urged Capitol Records to release the song as a 45, which for those of you who don't know, like I didn't, that's a vinyl single. Suddenly, Weird Al had his first recording contract. To this day, Cal Poly marks that bathroom with a plaque as the birthplace of Weird Al Yankovic's career. Yeah, so I read that and I just thought, like, okay, if Weird Al can start his career in a college dorm bathroom, like, we can start pursuing our dreams with whatever resources we have available to us. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and, and financially, this really plays into the idea of the gear acquisition syndrome that we talk about all the time. Uh, which basically is whenever you're pursuing a new hobby uh, or even your career, we think that we need the best equipment. So we got to have the latest and greatest golf clubs or golf balls to improve our game. We got to have the best gi to improve our jujitsu. We got to have the best guitar with the best strings. We got to have the best and newest camera. All that stuff, which you just don't need. Just get started with whatever you got. And to get like hyper financially focused, I think you can also play the game where you go, well, I don't have that much money to invest, so I won't start yet. I'll wait until I make more money. Then I can buy something better. And and then I'll be able to invest more. I'll have more money available to invest. Um, and so I think we, we can find ourselves putting things off that way until we have more or better or whatever. Um, and I think this is a great example of why you shouldn't do that. So number 11, we are throwing it back to the last episode of the podcast, and that is that the best moves are often met with yawns, and that's from a Warren Buffett quote. But from the article, it says, By the time Yankovic graduated from college, joke music was all he cared about. He hardly had time for anything else. He moved to Los Angeles, slept on a couch, briefly lived in his car, got a minimum wage job in a mailroom. He moved into a tiny apartment with a Murphy bed and a view of the Hollywood sign. He sat there by himself recording music, building his ovra. It's not really a word that anybody uses in everyday life. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, he was building that up joke by joke. Oh, man. But um, as you said, you know, the best moves are often met with yawns. I'm guessing that, you know, this guy's got a degree in architecture at this point, and he's moved into a mail or he's working in a mail room, moving in this like single apartment with a Murphy bed, uh, just writing joke songs in the apartment. Definitely a lot of yawns um, going on from the people around him, for sure. All right. So number 12 is uh, that nothing in life is guaranteed. Don't let the risks scare you. Because literally everything is a risk, even if we trick ourselves into thinking that it's secure. That's a long tip, but here's what the article says. Weird Al likes to say that every one of his albums is a comeback album. That's because a parody career is not like a normal career. It has no internal momentum. Everyone always expects you to go away. I I like the sort of seriousness that he puts on himself to say, I've got I got to bring it you know, this time as well. Um, I thought that was, that was really cool. Another artist that, um, I really like, uh, is a, is a rap artist named NF. Um, and he's got this line in the song named leave me alone that, uh, came to mind when I read that part of this article. Uh, here's what the line says. I hate when they debate if we're underrated. We're so overlooked that they're looking over our numbers, Nathan. We don't do our interviews or go out in public lately. We don't post enough on our socials to keep the buzz from fading. Let it fade, let it fade. Once it's decimated, then you drop a song out of nowhere and all the fans embrace it. 
Then the buzz will surface again. It's part of my operation. Nate is another artist who is sort of got this reputation for just kind of grinding it out and then putting everything he's got into his work and then letting the work speak for itself and um, not necessarily riding off of whatever success of his last, you know, album was. Um, and that that's something that um, I think Weird Al brings and Nate brings, which is this idea going back to our tip of like, you're not guaranteed anything. Even if you had success in the past, you're not guaranteed that in the future. And that's just part of life. And so you have to sort of embrace that there's inherent risk in whatever you're doing and um, take take a certain level of seriousness about your work in order to uh, overcome that risk. Yeah. And I think um, the other thing that this kind of brings to mind is I have heard a lot of people say to you like, oh, well, I, I always wanted to, you know, leave my leave my job and start my own thing or whatever. But I, I just I just never did it. I just I just couldn't take the risk. I couldn't whatever. Um, and I think a lot of people feel this false sense of security when they have a corporate type, more traditional job. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times that security isn't warranted. And um People, people think that being like self-employed or owning your own business, they tend to think, you, think of it as being very insecure. And I think in the age of the internet, especially, that's that's just not the case. I mean, you know, we talk about all the time, like, at least with what we're doing, we're in control. So if we see that the coronavirus happens and what we were doing before isn't working, we have the control to make the changes that need to be made to address the the new problems that people have so that they do want to continue to purchase coaching or whatever from us or continue watching our YouTube videos. So we're in control. And so to us, that gives us a greater sense of security. All that to say, if you've dreamed of doing things and have let a a sense of letting go of security or something from your job hold you back, just question that, reassess that. Yeah, question it and recognize that there's inherent risk no matter how you slice it. And the only way that you overcome that is by not resting on your laurels. Like um, the the last thing I'll say about this tip, especially on the risk piece, is it reminds me of this um, quote that was going around social media a couple of weeks ago. And um, it's actually a, a little bit written by a guy named uh, Devin Brosa. And here's what it says. It says, marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your hard. Obesity is hard. Being fit, being fit is hard. Choose your hard. Being in debt is hard. Being financially disciplined is hard. Choose your hard. And he goes on and says a few more, but um, you can replace the word hard there with risk. Like starting your own business, for example, with us, leaving your job, that's risky. But also like staying in the exact same job and never improving and resting on your laurels, if that's the way you're doing your job, if you're not trying to like kind of level up, that's also risky because when something does happen, like with the coronavirus or whatever, if you end up losing your job and you've not been like trying to improve yourself and improve your skills and make sure that you're employable, that's risky as well. It's just risky in a different way. And, you know, I think a lot of the time what I think about with my life in more of a broad sense is you can absolutely take risks and you may lose, but you might also win. And that's one way you can play this game of life or you can play it safe But that's also risky in and of itself because you may never achieve the vision that you have and then you're going to end up living with regret. 
And so there's inherent risk no matter how you slice it. And I think you just have to sort of embrace the fact that life has built-in risk, which Weird Al does. Don't let those risks scare you. Well, final final kind of point for me, too, is that I think um, we tend to have a negative connotation when it comes to the word risk. Yeah. But acknowledging that healthy risk does help make us better versions of ourselves. Yes. And so it does make you kind of get after it every day and really try to really try to do your best work um, and and push you to be better every day. So I think that there's a lot of good things that come out of recognizing like everything in life is a risk. And I need to try to be I need to be working towards showing up as my best self and doing my best work every day because it's all on the line every day. Sounds like a Jocko quote. It does. It probably is. But it's right. <laughs> Marco's over here snoring because she puts it all on the line <laughs> every day. <laughs> all right. Uh, so let's go into our 13th tip here, which is the impact you have on people around you is often bigger than you think. And the world needs you to be who you were meant to be. Sounds very like pie in the sky, but it really it's is. It's so true. It really it's is true. It's so true. Sadie Robertson says it. That's right. Joanna Gaines says it. It must be true. So here's what the article says about Weird Al. The only real exception to Weird Al's self-isolation came late at night after the shows when he would interact with fans in elaborate VIP sessions, photos, autographs, chats. Yankovic would basically do anything the fans wanted. He would mug for the camera or flex like a bodybuilder or sign people's arms. He signed posters, cassette tapes, action figures, accordions, spatulas, glow-in-the-dark snorkels. I saw him sign a package of baloney and an exact replica of a Star Wars Stormtrooper helmet. These were not autograph hounds, but true devotees, exactly the kinds of people Yankovic placed at the center of his songs. Nerds, misfits, weirdos. Many fans seemed to have just emerged for the first time in forever from tiny rooms of their own. They were less interested in a photo op than in a sort of spiritual transfer. Most of all, the fans thanked Weird Al. They thanked him for his music, for not dying of heat stroke on stage, for voicing the character Banana Man on the cartoon Adventure Time, for helping them survive cancer, for helping them survive their mother's cancer. Quote, I got introduced to your music when I was going through struggles in my life, said a young balding man wearing a brown suit, and the word struggles was surrounded on all sides by an unfathomable gulf of feeling. You helped me pull through. Weird Al listened with deep eye contact. Thank you, he said. That means a lot to me. Thank you for all the joy you bring to the world, said a woman from Minnesota. Thank you for making the best times brighter with your songs, said a young man from North Dakota. Thank you for letting us all be ourselves. Thank you for being you. Weird Al's bond with his fans is atomic. He will stop and speak with them anywhere, at airports, outside the tour bus, for so long that it becomes a logistical problem. The fans approach him like a guru, and Weird Al responds with sweet, open, validating energy. Yeah, so I think it would be really easy, especially for somebody who does something like being a parody artist. It would be very easy to think like, this doesn't really impact anybody. This isn't that meaningful or whatever. And uh, I do think it's just a great example of how a lot of times things that we do are impacting the people around us more than we would imagine. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that there's a lot of times that you've probably impacted people in your life that you may not even be aware of. Um, And there's a good argument here for you doing all these other 12 tips, right? So that you can 
embrace your own weirdness because the world needs you to be weird in your way so that you can impact the people in your life in the way that you're meant to impact them. And also, um, I think like just taking that fact seriously. And I think it was an email from another 5 a.m. Joel email um, where he talked about he talked about like energy givers versus like energy takers. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. And so I think encouraging yourself to like follow those things that you dream about doing and and really pursue that vision that you have for your life, but also encourage the people around you to do that same thing. So when somebody shares something that they're really excited about, don't be the person who shoots it down for them. And, and that's not to say that you can't bring up things to think about and to consider and, and all of that, but don't be, don't be the person who's spewing negativity at them for, for no real reason and not in a productive way. So I think Weird Al helps us see that we're all weird. And that's okay because the world needs us all to be our own weird. That's exactly right. Yeah. So speaking of weird stuff that we like, which is basically this whole episode, let's uh, get into the stuff we like. So today we thought it would be fun to do the stuff we like as just sharing our favorite Weird Al songs. So what's, uh, what's your favorite, Hannah? Well, you cheated and you picked two. Oh. Well, if I had to pick one, it would be A Complicated Song by Avril Lavigne. Mostly because of the second verse, which I think is hilarious, where he's like, find out that he's dating his cousin uh, and talks about, you know, should he go ahead with this and propose and get hitched and have kids with 11 toes? I think that's so funny. I know. Well, it it is unexpected in the song, too. It's, it's so totally funny. Like, you're listening unexpected. and then... You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. He sees the family crest tattooed on her thigh and it's the yep. same as the one on his thigh. Like, yep. it just takes a turn. And then he makes the Alabama joke, which I think is hilarious, too. <laughs> As people who love Alabama, as we people think it's who hilarious. love Alabama and are moving to Alabama, I think it's funny. My favorite one, absolutely, is Amish Paradise. You can't beat it. Amish Paradise is hard to it's beat. It's so good. But also, um, I, I was just watching um, Weird Al doing his parody of Lady Gaga's "Born This Way," and it's it's entertaining in its own disturbing way. <laughs> in its own way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think for me. If I have to do my honorable mention or my second favorite, it's going to be white and nerdy for sure. Uh, yeah. Another great one. It's hard to pick a favorite. I know. There's so many good I ones. I know. he He's he's that good. If you made it this far in the episode, I suspect you're probably a Weird Al fan. Um, if unless you, you know, if you somehow don't listen to Weird Al very much and you've listened all the way to this point, then you should definitely go check out a lot of Weird Al songs. Yeah. They're worth it. I think of all of these reasons... Don't don't make you want to love Weird Al. I don't know what will, um, <laughs> but I just think I think Weird Al's so great, and I think his kindness just like radiated through this whole article, and it just made me love him even even more. Yeah. So, do you want to do you want to do a quick summary of our thirteen points? Yeah, I don't I don't know that I want to rehash all thirteen, but I think we can basically suffice it to say what you just said, which is, you know, Weird Al is extremely nice and somebody that I think. We can learn a lot from, and maybe it's somebody that you didn't think you could learn that much from. Um, and uh, if, if I had one takeaway, it would be to embrace your own weird. And, uh, you know, if you haven't checked out the article, definitely go check that out. It'll be linked up in the show notes. And uh, we also encourage you to check out his kids' book. Um, whether you have kids or not or just want to read it for yourself, um, it's definitely not just for kids and has a lot of, uh, of good wisdom in it. Yeah, and it's titled When I Grow Up. So we'll link to it in the show notes, too. So as always, thank you so, so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And we will see you next week. Bye.